Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the Mick Clifford Podcast with the Irish Examiner. Now, have a listen to this for a minute. As the author Naomi Klein once wrote, the only thing rising faster than our emissions is the output of words pledging to lower them. My name is Saoirse and I'm 15 years old, almost 16. As a young person, I've been told my entire childhood to aim high and that I can be whatever I want in life. But this is a lie. Our government is built on lies. I was driven to write this out of total and utter hopelessness. I don't know where else to turn. I've sat at the core of our democracy. I've lobbied my representatives through both protesting and holding conversations. I've pounded on your door and you've continued to pluck your ears. As a delegate at the RTE Youth Assembly, I sat in your seats and walked across your floors. I debated in your committee rooms. I felt a place teeming with the hopelessness of my generation and our eagerness to attempt to grasp even the most minuscule amount of hope to keep us going, to keep us alive. It has been over a year since this event, and yet nothing has changed. I am no scientist. Everything that I know, you are already aware of and yet choose to ignore. I am guided in my actions by science, but your actions circulate around avoiding it where possible in favour of more money to line your coffers. You put forward new bills and new declarations purely to placate people who care. But I am angry. I am sick and tired and angry and yet I have barely lived. I am exhausted simply by caring. My grief runs deep. It saps my strength when I am forced to continue to live in a society shaped by your hands that simply does not care. This pandemic gave us an opportunity. It paused life across the world, if only for a moment, and showed us that there were other ways of doing things, other than the sickening normality you adults have become so attached to. It is almost as if without it, you'll perish. You could have done so much. Instead, you ignored that the environment was affected positively by our removal from our normal routines. You ignored that the way we treat our planet was the root of this crisis in the first place. You disregarded the science yet again. The expansion of humans onto more of the planet's land has increased the likelihood of disease outbreaks in two ways. First, as humans move into what were once animal habitats, we end up living closer to animals that might contain dangerous pathogens. Secondly, as we destroy or alter animal habitats, we're driving away or killing off animals that once served as a firewall between those pathogens and us. These are the words of science journalist Sonia Shah, echoed by scientists across the globe. I know this letter will be answered with you waving the climate bill in my face and claiming this is the answer to all my problems, yet you are not even held accountable in this bill. When the youth put questions to your leaders, they skive around the answers. In fact, you avoid any contact with us. I am young. I cannot vote. To some people, I am worthless, naive, little and a brat. These people are scared of people like me. They are scared of the power the youth movement has shown and the power we will show. Even if I cannot vote now, I will be able to in the future, and I will not forget. That was Saoirse Exton reading an extraordinary letter which she wrote to the editor of the Irish Examiner and which was recently published in the paper. Saoirse, um, quite obviously you're exercised by the climate change crisis. Um, What prompted you to compose that letter? Um, actually in Limerick uh, for the past 
years, couple of years, I mean, I think it's five or more years, we've been uh, fighting against uh, basically the, the Irish cement incinerator changing from using fossil fuels to incinerating things like rubbers and animal fat and toxic materials. Um which would be fine in a purpose-built incinerator. Well, not fine, but, you know, better in a purpose-built incinerator. But but in Limerick, you know, it's not purpose-built. And this particular um, cement plant has a history of, of releasing dust particulates uh, into the air. And actually, we have the highest number of asthmatics out of any city in Ireland, myself being one of those asthmatics. <laughs> um, so, and it was just, it was just after it was announced by the EPA that it was, that it's going ahead um, uh, despite the fact that over 3,000 people put an appeal against it, and despite the fact that in October um, of t- 2019, uh, there was a 6,000 strong march against it. Um, and like I said, the campaign has been going on for over five years. Um, and I suppose it just made me really angry and made me really lose a lot of hope because the thing is, when it comes to the climate crisis, you have to really think small. You you have to think, you know, think um, think think global, act local. But you have to, um, you have to kind of car- uh, compartmentalize because otherwise, it's such a massive issue. If you look at it for all that it is, sometimes it can be really, really scary. I mean, it is scary, and and it can be really hopeless almost. Um, and so. I, you know, as an activist, I have been trying to um, to make Limerick a better place to, to make to make sure that we don't contribute to the climate crisis. And then hopefully we could inspire others to to stop contributing to the climate crisis. And then eventually the world, we wouldn't have the climate crisis anymore. I mean, I know that's that's very simplistic, but like that's that's kind of the, the goal, I suppose, of the climate movement. But when these small things happen, um, even though they're not really that surprising, even though I expect things like this to happen, it's really horrible. It's really demeaning. And it just really feels like my voice and the voices of countless other people who advocate for environmental rights are being ignored by both this government and governments across the world in favour of, like I said in that letter, in favour of money to line their own coffers. Well, okay, yeah, and quite obviously we'll get to that in a minute in terms of the government and whether or not they're representative of adults and you make a very valid point that whatever the government are representative of, uh, by which I mean those who vote for it, they're over 18 and you could certainly make an argument as you have very cogently that that does not necessarily and particularly in the current climate represent those of a younger age. But tell me first about yourself, Saoirse. You're, um, as you said, you're from Limerick. Um, You said you're 15. What stage are you at in school? And what brought you into activism? Was it this cement factory? So I, um, today is actually my last day of, of transition year. So uh, that's, <laughs> it's kind of exciting. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm 15. Um, I, I live in Clare, but I have been protesting and, and going to school in Limerick, which is a bit, uh, people, people, it's very funny because people are always trying to like own me, whether I'm from like, you know, Clare or from Limerick, people in Clare are like, I think oh, that's she's a, a Clare common woman. problem there around yeah, yeah, Clare yeah, and Limerick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, I, I got into activism about uh over two years ago actually um and basically i i 
set up the, the local group Fridays for Future in Limerick. Sorry, what was the name again, Saoirse? I missed that. Fridays for Future. Right. Uh, but basically, Fridays for Future is a protest movement where uh, people were encouraged to, to strike from school every single Friday for climate justice. Oh, um, yes. And outside uh, outside council buildings. So I participated in this. Uh, well, I, I have pretty much been participating in it for the last two years. Obviously, COVID kind of messed it up a little bit, but that's how I got into activism. But before that, I was also very invested in, in a lot of, like, for instance, the uh, equal marriage campaign and the repeal campaign. I, I was I was very invested in that. Um, I wasn't necessarily involved because I was quite young. Like, I was only 13 when I, when I started protesting. Um, but it was something that I was very aware of and something I really wanted to get involved in in social justice, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, fair play. And th- those, I'd, I'd suggest, are issues, uh, both of them, that tend to be an older demographic. But from that point of view, um, would your friends be of the same kind of activist uh, nature as yourself or did you get it at home? It's it's it is fascinating that you became an activist so young. It's it's very encouraging in one level, I have to say. I suppose I mean a lot of my friends I made through my activism, you know what I mean? Like I have a lot of friends right. that are kinda of like my strike buddies and things like that. Um and obviously so obviously they're they're because that, that's that's how I, I made friends with them. Um and I suppose a lot of other young people care, but oftentimes are almost a little too afraid to actually do anything because as young people we're you know, we're either like conformed to school rules or to our parents' rules or there's a bunch of rules that, that we have to follow that obviously changes when we grow older. Um, and I also feel that a lot of young people um, who may become activists later in life um, are not quite aware of, of the world, especially, you know, in like in the early years of secondary school and especially in primary school and things like that. Um, yeah, my family have like we always talked about political issues like like I mentioned with the repeal campaign apparently driving I don't actually remember this but apparently driving home from the count um after the the repeal referendum um I apparently turned to my mother and said this is my feminist awakening (laughs) so uh, (laughs) my um my parents have always been really supportive and like I said we've always talked about things like this um like even as I, I grew up without a religion for instance so uh, I was always taught to like think critically and things like that and you know as a big reader as well I, I would say that helped to contribute just in in awareness um so I suppose it's it's my parents but it's also just what you know it's also just what I grew up with and the way the people that I grew up around very good and notwithstanding as you say that um you, you you've made friends through your activism but just for a moment, stepping outside that, just in terms of your peers in general in school, do you sense that your generation um, have a greater awareness of climate change than perhaps there is among, for want of a better term, the adult population? I mean, I feel like a lot of the, like a lot of the time, young people are called idealistic. And like we are to an extent, <laughs> um, and a lot of older people kind of take on the more kind of pragmatic way of seeing things, um, and sometimes that can be really good, but sometimes it can be really problematic as well. I feel like a lot of young people see things in a sort of black and white, for want of a better term, because obviously not everything is black and white, and that's what's so important about the climate crisis that we can't just fix it with the snap of our fingers. Um, I do think, like I said before, a lot of people care. 
but oftentimes they don't know that much whether it's because of the you know the education system doesn't really teach us anything about things like the climate crisis um or whether it's just because like i said they they're scared because of the 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 rules um that are put in place by by schools and and by parents and by guardians and all of this um i just yeah i think there but i think there are a lot more young people that i would know of that would be more passionate about the climate crisis than older people that i would know of i mean i do know older people that have been climate activists for decades um but at the same time you know there even in limerick there is like there's a group of young people that that care about this yeah and the the reality is unless it's arrested in some form it's your generation far, far more than the likes of mine who are going to bear the brunt of it and therefore it'd be perfectly natural that there'd be far far more interest in it. Uh, just returning briefly to your letter, Saoirse, a uh, lovely uh, line there you had, I have pounded on your door and you've continued to plug your ears. Who exactly are you addressing there? Yeah, so the you in that entire letter is the government as a whole. You know, it's it's the leaders, it's the the politicians, it's the the people who have been who have had the opportunity to steer away from this crisis for 30 40 years um and who have done not nothing i don't think it's fair to say they have done nothing but not enough some people would say that the leaders to a large extent reflect the feelings among the population at large again with the caveat as i say that you're talking about over 18s because they're, the, they're they're the ones who vote but just to give you an example, the last uh, general election, we have, what, oh, I think it's 160 seats. Um, personally, I think probably the only party, possibly with the exception maybe of one of the, the more left-wing parties that took the whole thing seriously was the Greens, and yet they came back with 12 seats. Uh, a record by their standards, but a tiny amount in terms of the full uh, doll for a party whose main focus was climate change. And, you know, I, I've written myself elsewhere that, to me, to a certain extent, that suggests that the population at large are not taking the issue that seriously. Yeah, I mean, look, it's all down to education. Most people just don't know the extent of, of this crisis. Most people just go around, go about their days and they're not aware of what's going on. Um, and that's fine to an extent. Like we all have to keep living. Obviously, we can't, we can't break down into into an absolute panic. But to an extent, we do need to panic a little bit because it is a crisis, and it is going to affect every single person alive today, and especially younger people. Um, and you know, and I think another thing is, despite the fact that the general populace might not want climate action, um it's kind of got to the point where it has to happen, if you know what I mean. Because climate action, or the lack thereof, affects every single uh, issue in society. You know, racial justice, uh, uh, you know, gender uh, justice, everything, every single piece of justice is affected by the climate crisis. Uh, whether it's like, whether the climate crisis is affecting it, or whether it is affecting the climate crisis, if you know what I mean, the, the different social justice mm. issues. And I feel like people don't really seem to understand there's a massive connection between climate change and things like health. Um, and if you look at, I, I don't remember which which newspaper released it, but during the uh, general election, it was released that like the priorities for, for Irish voters, number one was health, and I think number five was climate change. Um, and, it, you know, and it's, it's kind of ironic when I see things like that, because it's like, you know, the climate crisis 
directly affects people's health. Literally, um, when it comes, it's 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 hard to explain because it's so it's so like there's so much evidence to show that 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 our our quality of life, in fact, our uh, life expectancy in the EU has gone down on average by eight months because of air quality issues. Um, so literally our, our, our quality of life is going down because of the climate crisis, because of the way we're treating the planet. I mean, I said it in the letter, um, COVID-19 and other viruses like this are going to become more likely in my lifetime. I probably will see maybe another virus, maybe two, maybe three, maybe four that will have as big an impact on society and on the economy and on everything as COVID-19 has. It's, it's not natural that, that, a, a, a pandemic so big as this has happened so soon after the last one, if you know what I mean. And yes, I know it's 100 years, but it's it's soon if you look at the grand scheme of things. Um, and it's just, it's really scary, actually. It's, it's really terrifying. It is, you're absolutely right. And logically, everything you say is completely correct. And it is scary. It's scary on a number of different fronts. The problem, one problem I'd suggest to you is that, as you mentioned, young people are idealistic. Uh, one of the reasons for that is that not yet do they have a major stake in society, as in a particular standard of living, um, run a car, own a house, you know what I mean? Those kind of boring things that people end up getting into. And I just wonder, is it a question that those who are at that level or at that station in life um, to have a transition and particularly a just transition would require them to perhaps reduce their standards of living, give up some of what they might consider creature comforts. And I just wonder, are they prepared to do that as opposed to perhaps younger people who are more, again, going back to, as you said, idealistic and more driven towards change? And I I wonder, is that one of the problems? What do you think of that? Well, I think, first of all, it's important to remember that it's not just young people advocating for this. Like I said, there Very are true. a lot of older people yeah. that have been doing this for decades. And also all the climate scientists, um, I think 97% of scientists agree that, that climate change is a pressing issue uh, and a crisis. Um, so I think it's really important to remember that, you know, because I feel like a lot of people forget that it isn't just young people having having an excuse to, to put something on their CVs. <laughs> um, I know, I think yeah. to be fair to you, there, there's no question the genuine idealism, I, I think... That, that would be obvious to a lot of people. It's, it's very genuine, uh, certainly as far as I can see anyway. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the, the way that I see it is, like I said, we knew about this 30 years ago as, as a planet. We, we knew, um, scientists predicted uh, fairly accurately, actually, um, what would happen. Um, and we knew that that we were doing something harmful to our planet. We were doing something harmful to our species. I mean, if you look at, at Sir David Attenborough, for instance, I mean, he's been in the field of, of biology um, and, you know, the naturalism and all of that for, for so long that, it, you know, he actually eventually saw these patterns himself in, in the wild and, and he realised that there was something seriously wrong going on. To know what's really happening, subscribe to the Irish Examiner today at irishexaminer.com forward slash subscribe. Something else I'm wondering about, as you said, most of of your ire, um, very well expressed, was directed towards leaders, I think, and it's fair to say politicians in general. Are there any politicians that you admire or leaders in wider society? 
Um, I, I mean, obviously, a lot of the youth climate leaders are really inspirational, and a lot of them I would have I would have worked alongside. Um, I suppose when it comes to political leaders, it's difficult because um, I really want to. Um, I really want to support someone. I really want to say, oh, this person's brilliant. This person's perfect. And obviously nobody's perfect. So there's that. Um, but also I find that one of the biggest problems, like I said before, is the disconnect that people have between climate change and other social issues. Um, and the problem is when you have someone saying, oh, yes, I want to end climate change. And then they go off and I don't know, they... They vote in favour of, of lowering, lowering um, student nurses' wages, um, for instance. I mean, they're not in favour of climate justice. And without climate justice, we can't achieve climate action. And it's really difficult because, you know, 40 years ago, for instance, or, or 30 years ago, we had enough time to actually combat issues surrounding racial justice, surrounding religious injustice, surrounding the very things that continue to plague our society. We had time. But the problem is we got to the point where um, we're basically, I mean, we, we don't have enough time to just to, to have little tiny steps. We need to take action now because we have less than nine years before we've gotten to the point where we can't reverse anything uh, despite what we might want to do. Um, and it's just, yeah, I, I and I think a lot of political leaders think that health like i mentioned before health and climate change are, are are mutually exclusive they're not they tie into one another and so when they do some the one thing um that they say is all pro environmentalism and then they do another that's actually not advocating for for justice and equality and equity for all i mean they're completely undermining their own message um and it's it's really frustrating so that's part of the reason why i i can't really say that there's one particular politician that I completely agree with, but then again, I don't know all of the uh, all of the ideologies of every single politician in in the doll. So I'm sure there's someone there who I would probably align with to an extent, anyway. Um, but yeah, it's, you want to be careful now. You might be getting phone calls. They might be asking you to go and run for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's not really new to be honest. Uh, but <laughs> on that, Sersha, uh, um, somebody like yourself that is quite obviously very exercised by these very serious public issues. Could you ever envisage yourself entering politics? I have thought about it before and I'm not sure because on one hand, um, I, yes, I suppose. Um, but I feel like the reasoning for my wanting to potentially go into politics is, is a bit naive. I mean, I would like to change the world, but how likely is it that I will actually accomplish that in a political position? I mean, there are many people in the doll currently who would like to have you know, who would like to advocate for a just transition for instance as you mentioned before but can't because they're not in in a in a majority party for instance um and i i'm also aware that that as a female as as a woman um i would also get attacked you know what i mean because a lot of women do you mean on social media do you mean yeah on social media yes yeah. yes um you know because a lot of women in politics are completely demeaned for just speaking their mind um and especially interestingly enough as but maybe this is just my experience but, but women who would maybe more align with, with left um ideals which is obviously something that that i would align with more um 
And, you know, that that scares me a little bit, to be honest, because I have received online abuse um, as an activist. It hasn't been the worst in the world because I don't have a massive platform. But if I put myself out there, like truly, well and truly out there, I mean, that that is a risk that, that I will have to face. Um, and this is another this is another part of. Yeah, it's just it's, it's difficult. <laughs> That's a scary thing, really. I mean, I obviously have heard it, and particularly, as you say, it is something that in particular women are targeted with, uh, and I've heard politicians speaking about it. But somebody, as, as if you don't mind me saying, as, as young as yourself, that you have experienced some ab- abuse related to your activism. Yeah, yeah, I have. Online, obviously. Well, I mean, not yeah, yeah, always online. I mean, yeah. Actually, not always online, because, you know, I was out in the streets uh every friday or so and then we have big protest we had big protests um 2019 like really big ones that were amazing um um and you know like people have said stuff to my face that made me feel uncomfortable to say the least um obviously online it's not that it's worse it's just there's more of it um it's not the worst thing in the world it's just something that that i'm aware of and that i you know i'm constantly thinking about it because as I put myself more and more out there, you know, um, and as my, my platform grows, I'm, I'm like, you know, there are going to be people out there that are against me as a person. Um, and especially like, it's really interesting because I'm, I'm actually the equality officer of the, of the Irish second level Shin Union. Um, and in that I've, it's not that it's been targeted at me, but you know, I've, uh, there's been, some of my peers have experienced really, really horrible stuff. And even the, the union as a whole, um, has received a lot of, a lot of criticism that isn't always based in, in fact. And that's, it's really scary to see that because, you know, if I am an adult and I put my, I mean, to some extent, I feel like a lot of people who might be a troll, for instance, would kind of leave me be as a young person. But as I grow older, it's just something that I'm aware of if, if I do want to go into politics. Um, and I think it's something that a lot of people have to be aware of. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's and you're completely right. And I've heard it echoed, as I say, principally by older people, because they're only the people who would have spoke to about it. But you're absolutely right in terms of what people are targeted with. And it is a very sad reflection in one aspect of our public life. If, for example, you didn't go into politics, as some do, would you see yourself continuing in activism? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think it would be like a full-time job or whatever, because it's not really a job, but I would definitely um, definitely keep keep protesting and, and keep being involved in different campaigns, um, because at this point in time, I don't see know who I would be without without protesting to be honest and I, and I think it's kind of funny because people um uh make jokes about how there's like the same protesters and everything and I'm one of the same protesters like you know um who go to all of these different rallies but I think that's really important you know it's it's really important to to get your voice out there and to show solidarity especially when it comes to to um marginalized communities uh, you need to show your sol- solidarity, and especially someone with with privilege. I would I would like to use my privilege to um to give a, a platform to people who are often sidelined in our society. Um, so yes, I would. What would you see yourself having an interest in? If you know, I'm asking in in terms of uh, uh, to use the phrase earning a crust, uh, going to college or, or following some particular line of work. Yeah, I I. I would like to go to university, definitely. Um, I don't fully know what I would want to study yet. Um, 
so I'm still trying to figure that out a little bit. I mean, I'm interested in generally, you know, like sociology, uh, psychology. I have a bit of an obsession with mythology, so it's a bit different from from climate activism. But I feel like it's all kind of interlinked a little bit. I mean, especially when it comes to sociology. Um, so, I you know, I'm not entirely sure, but you know, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, it is. And tell me, are you optimistic about the future, Sirsha? That's actually a difficult question for me because it depends on the day, you know? Sometimes I see something, I see an action that's been taken or a company that that maybe has has decided to go 100% renewable or something like that. And I have I have some optimism and I'm like, okay, yes, look, if this one thing can do it, we can all do it. It's it's good. Or uh, sometimes especially on the the big protest days when a lot of people join join us on the streets. Of course I have I have hope, you know, of course I have optimism because I see, you know, hundreds of, of thousands of people across the world, millions of people across the world standing in, in solidarity and, and saying we want climate action now. Um, and, you know, when I see people speaking out about it, especially people with very large platforms, um, and I'm, I think they're actually convincing people, yes. But, you know, most of the time, um, not really, to be honest. And... It's really sad, actually, because I I, keep, I I think it's very difficult for a lot of climate activists to maintain hope, to maintain uh, that optimism. Um, you know, we have a lot of anxiety, we have a lot of grief, um, and that manifests all the time. Uh, it's just something that, that I have to deal with as an activist, you know. Um, I have to deal with the fact that in my lifetime there will be many species that we see today. My, my favourite animal, for instance, is the polar bear, you know? Like, that will probably go extinct in my lifetime. Not to mention, you know, things I may never see, like the car- the Great Barrier Reef. I may never see that. It, it could die before before I, I actually see it. Um, and things that we take for granted, you know, species, various species of birds, various, various species of mammal, various species of everything are going to start dying. And then you look at at communities that are already feeling the effects of climate change now and in 10 years i mean what's going to happen then um island nations are are already sinking into the sea now uh what's going to be happening in 10 years um and when i think about all that and all the, the the deeply rooted problems that we have not just in this society but but across the world um and when i realize and i recognize that the only way we can achieve climate action adequately without uh leaving people behind um is by actively consulting everyone no matter their socioeconomic status no matter their skin color no matter where they live in the world i mean although i want to do that and i want to fight for that and i want to continue to lobby my politicians to do it sometimes i think to myself this is just all too difficult like we have nine less than nine years left uh, before we can't reverse this anymore um that's no time um and i think and, and sometimes it's not that i want to give up it's just it's really difficult to keep going sometimes um so it does shift but i'm not completely hopeless if you know what i mean i'm not necessarily optimistic but i'm not pessimistic either i'm like somewhere in between <laughs> yeah hopefully and you know, it's very understandable where you're coming from hopefully there'll be brighter days one final thing just to ask you um People like yourself, uh, you, your generation and involved in activism, are you linked in to similar people abroad? 
is, is the world a smaller place in that respect? Because quite obviously it's a completely shared venture when you're talking about the, the climate. I mean, yeah, I, I would be um, not so much anymore. Like there was a, a period in, in August 2019, basically, there was an international meeting um, between a lot of the European climate activism groups. Um, and there was about 400 people there and they were from across Europe and across, so there were some countries further afield. Um, and basically we all came together and we, we had a lot of fun. It was loads of fun. It was about a week long conference. Um, there were, there were talks, there were, we, we debated all of these different policies to put together. Um, we, there was a couple of working groups, very high pressure working groups uh, that I was involved in. Um, uh, some really strong bonds were formed and, um, it was brilliant, you know, um, and I made a lot of friends uh, through that. Um, and now I do feel as if the, the climate striking movement has slowed down a little bit, purely and simply because of COVID-19. Obviously, as climate activists, we recognise the importance of the science uh, more than anyone. We recognise how important it is to to like actually adhere to the science because we know that a lot of leaders are not. Um, and... I suppose, but yeah, no, I, I, there is, there, the world is, is a, is a whole lot smaller than we all think it is. <laughs> You're right. Absolutely, yeah. and as you say, it's a common cause, and uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be once, we, <laughs> once we get out of this pandemic, uh, I think there should, there certainly will be a platform for for activists about what is, much as many of us try to uh, look away. I think there's no doubt it, it is the great issue of our times. Saoirse Exton, thank you very much for joining us today and thanks very much for engaging in public debate. We need more people like yourself to add a small bit of balance to the age demographic commenting, uh, particularly on the likes of climate change, rather than old fellas like myself. So hopefully we'll hear plenty more from you. Thank you very much, Saoirse. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, I'd also like to thank our engineer JJ Vernon thank you for listening you can get us on all the usual platforms and don't forget to sign up for your Irish Examiner subscription stay in by the wall On Formative middle school kids from New York City public schools interview a phenomenal collection of grown-ups me like I don't know what I want to do you don't have to have all the answers I feel like a lot of people's favorite topics are like interest in their life. That is a really good answer. The podcast where the leaders of today are interviewed by leaders of tomorrow. Listen now at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts.